Christina Kaleka, a spiritual and hardworking young woman, was a faithful and passionate volunteer and upcoming educator in Toronto, Canada. Her undying go-getter personality and dedication to her family and church were cut short by an unexplainable, unsolved disappearance in August of 2007, leaving all who knew her across the Cabbage Town neighborhood of Toronto and the entirety of Canada at large, grasping for answers in a sea of evidence that drowned us all in doubt. As a hope to provide more substantial reasoning built upon observable evidence and situational analysis, this is an examination of Christina Kaleka's disappearance at the Rainbow Falls Provincial Park and the mysteries of Ontario's expansive backwoods. This is Cold Case Detective. Christina Kaleka was born on December 10th, 1986 to Mario Kaleka and Elizabeth Rutledge in the Greater Toronto Area. Just six years prior, Elizabeth had emigrated to Canada from the Philippines in 1980, joining a community of rich Filipino culture in Toronto alongside a few extended family members, seeking to begin a family of her own. Thus, Christina was born only a few years later. Her father wasn't a huge part of the family after her birth and left when she was only one year old, but she was raised by her fiercely independent mother nonetheless. About four years later, Elizabeth remarried and gave birth to another child, this time a son named Michael. She was determined to make the life for her children as bountiful and smooth as she could, aided all the way by Christina's love for her younger half-brother and willingness to help take care of him. As a young girl, Christina soon found a refuge at her local church, where she swiftly made friends with fellow members of her congregation and developed a deep-rooted love for the community around her. Christina's mother, Elizabeth, had been raised as a devout Catholic and promised to bring up her own children with a stronghold on faith and spiritual teachings. Christina embraced this full force, spending free time even as a young child within the walls of her church. As she grew from childhood into adolescence, she sought more opportunities to volunteer, particularly with the fellow youth at her church and after-school programs. If one thing was for certain, it was Christina's uncanny ability to nurture relationships with kids, guiding them through rough patches or simply educating them through creative efforts. The kids were just as attached, holding on to Christina's every word, calmed by her bubbly spirit and soft-spoken demeanor. It was a match made in heaven. Christina knew her future involved leading students and sharing the wisdom she gained in both school and church. Thus, she made that her dream, focusing on education and further volunteer efforts as she entered high school and beyond. After a very successful four years of high school, Christina quickly enrolled into a local community college to study early childhood education, whilst continuing to volunteer around Cabbage Town. To help aid her daughter's dreams, Elizabeth, building a business of her own, worked odd jobs around town, such as a cashier and a caretaker, 
to support her daughter's secondary schooling, Christina never forgot her mother's sacrifice and vowed to, one day, repay the favor. That day came after Christina received her early childhood education certificate in 2006, when Christina graduated from college and entered the hustle and bustle of adulthood. She secured a job at the daycare at St. Bernadette's Family Resource Center, working long nine-hour days, constantly helping the children with their schoolwork and expanding their imaginations. It was exhausting employment, but Christina embraced it with all of her heart and mind. She even took her earnings and split part of her paycheck to assist with half the rent with her mother, a payback she had promised in return for all her years of sacrifice. It was a beautiful gesture, and just a microcosm of Christina and Elizabeth's connection. Alongside the daycare position, Christina always helped organize events and other activities around Cabbage Town as well. She was a huge part of Youth for Christ, an international Filipino organization that aided young people seeking spiritual inspiration and helped plan their largest conferences at their local chapter. And of course, as with everything else in her life, Christina's desire to help everyone leaked back into her relationships with her close Filipino family, helping organize her mother's massive 50th birthday celebration. Sadly, however, it was through these multiplying efforts and jobs that Christina wore down, and when she sought a weekend of relaxation to de-stress from life for just a moment, she met a mysterious fate a fate that led her into the woodlands of rural Ontario, never to be seen again amongst the Rainbow Falls. Let's now turn to the timeline of events that led to the disappearance of Christina Kaleka. On Sunday, July 28th, Christina Kaleka celebrates her mother's 50th birthday with a bevy of family and friends. It sports a tremendous turnout and highlights the strenuous efforts Christina puts forth in lifting up her loved ones. It also exhausts Christina into a burnout and she begins looking for a mini vacation. As July turns into August later that week, Christina tells her closest friends, Faith Castulo, Eddie Miguel, and JB Reyes of her desire to take a step back and get some much needed time away from everyday life. The others agree and suggest a weekend excursion to Montreal in the neighboring territory of Quebec. Another few days pass, and Christina and company search for hotels in the greater Montreal area, but find them too expensive. One of the group suggests staying at their friend's house in the city, but they all agree it would be too short notice. The four of them completely overhaul their plans at this point, and instead decide to go on a camping trip in rural Ontario at one of its numerous woodland getaways. They search for parks on the internet, selecting the third option in their Google results and mark Rainbow Falls Provincial Park as their destination for the upcoming weekend with no questions asked. On Friday evening of August 3rd, Christina spends her last night home with her mother. Elizabeth tells her daughter to wear away the previous week's stress and the two fall asleep together awaiting the rest of Christina's crew. A few hours later, at 3 a.m. on Saturday, August 4th, Faith, Eddie, and JB show up at Christina's house in Eddie's beat-up 1992 Toyota Corolla, their gear and belongings packed. 
Elizabeth notices the poor shape of Eddie's car and feels uneasy about the young adults traveling 1,500 kilometers in such a rust bucket. Thus, she has the friends transfer their things to her own personal vehicle and lets them drive that instead. Christina grabs her suitcase full of a few outfits and various supplies, kisses her mother goodbye with a hasty, I love you, and leaves her home for Rainbow Falls. Over the next 33 hours, through Saturday afternoon, evening, and onto the following morning, the friends make a few stops to break up the long drive. These stops include a tourist excursion at Nays Provincial Park in Marathon, a grocery pickup in Schreiber, and an incident where the car ran out of gas around Wawa, and the group of friends elicited the help of a young man named Ian, who helped them get petrol at a filling station nearby. Christina and the gang finally arrive at Rainbow Falls Provincial Park in Rossport, Ontario, at noon on Sunday, August 5th. A few minutes after arriving, the quartet of friends check into Campsite 72. However, they notice that this particular campsite is located on the main public road and swiftly switch their reservation to Campsite 88, a more private site further into the backwoods. Over the next two hours, Christina, Faith, Eddie, and JB unpack their things and set up their miniature campsite, fashioned with a tent and fire pit. They take pictures of one another, documenting their stay. At 2.25 p.m., a photo is taken of Faith and Christina posing with enlarged sunglasses near their campsite. An hour later, at around 3.30 p.m., another photo is taken of Christina eating campfire-cooked pasta with her friend JB watching. Another three hours pass by, and the crew decides to hang back at the tent rather than explore the nearby trails or beaches. Instead, at 6.30 p.m., all four friends lay down for a nap, exhausted from the previous day's journey. What is supposed to be a 30-minute nap turns into a four-hour slumber when the group finally wake up at 10.30 p.m. Eddie says his alarm clock must have stopped working, either that or they all slept through the ringing. Nevertheless, the friends decide to stay up, finishing off their prepared food from earlier and drinking a little bit of alcohol. At 11.59 p.m., another photo is taken by the crew, this time of Faith and Christina sitting near the fire pit. Another nine minutes go by, and at 12.08 a.m. on Monday, August 6th, the last photo of Christina is taken by Faith, depicting her sitting next to JB and Eddie, who holds a flashlight over their pasta at the center of the camp. The group continues chatting amongst themselves until about 3 a.m., when Eddie heads to the comfort station nearby to shower and clean up. Eddie returns to the tents half an hour later at 3.30 a.m., where Christina remains the only one still awake. She jokingly suggests the two go swimming in the dark of night before they fall asleep. Eight minutes before the sun rises at 6.30 a.m., and only after a few hours of rest, Christina and Eddie wake up once more. They notice Faith and JB are still out cold in a deep sleep, and decide themselves to arise for the day. Christina asks Eddie to accompany her to the comfort station to use the bathroom, to which Eddie agrees. The couple exits the tent and heads down the trail. A few minutes later, on their way back to their tents from the comfort station, Eddie asks Christina if she'd like to go jogging with him. Despite a foot injury from a few years back and a scary hiking incident from just a few weeks earlier, Christina accepts the invitation. 
Eddie, training to be a firefighter, suggests running along the Trans-Canada Highway nearby. Christina shoots this idea down, however, and wishes to stay on park grounds. At a fork in the road where one path splits towards Highway 17 and the other towards Rainbow Falls Park Trail, Eddie decides to split up with Christina and run towards the highway anyway. Christina asks Eddie how long he wants to run, and he jokes that he will run until he dies. Laughing it off, Christina turns down the park trail towards the waterfalls without setting a time to meet back up with Eddie. Eddie turns to see her jogging back into the park, just as the other campers begin to rise for the day. This would be the last confirmed sighting of Christina Kaleka. Over the next hour, Eddie runs along the highway towards the Rossport campground on the west side of Rainbow Falls Provincial Park. He stops at a picnic area, carves his initials into a rock, and returns back to Campsite 88, where Faith and JB still sleep, and Christina is nowhere to be found. Eddie doesn't worry too much, and sits outside by the fire pit. At around 8.30am, he goes around the campsite looking for a small axe to chop up some lumber, but fails to find anything to use. 30 minutes tick by, and at around 9am, a man by the name of Paul Gautier steps out of his RV located on the Rossport campground site in Rainbow Falls, about 5 kilometers from Campsite 88 on the White Sand Lake side. As Paul drinks his morning cup of coffee, he spots a short-statured woman walking down the loop from Highway 17. Paul later remarks that the woman could have been of Asian descent and was wearing dark clothing, similar to Christina. At 9.30am, Faith and JB finally wake up. They ask about Christina's absence, to which Eddie tells them about their separate morning jogs. Neither friend appears too worried, and Faith remarks of Christina's occasional introverted nature and that she was probably just off finding a bit of privacy to reflect or pray by her lonesome. Another 30 minutes go by, and Eddie asks JB to check out the beach near the comfort station for any signs of Christina, while he and Faith make breakfast. JB returns empty-handed. At 11am, the trio of friends decide to set out and look for Christina. Eddie and JB drive back to the fork where Christina was last seen and take the path she jogged down earlier that morning. They reach another trail split, and Eddie sends JB on the trail heading towards Lake Superior while he heads down the Rainbow Falls Trail. Eddie reaches the end of the trail at a rocky outcropping with no set path in sight. He asks a woman back on the trail where it leads, and she says, all the way to Rossport. Unable to continue running the length of the newfound trail, he goes back and finds JB in the car, once again returning without any luck. At 1.45pm, Eddie and JB return to Campsite 88, where Faith waits for them, finding no answers herself. The trio leaves a note behind in case Christina returns to find them missing, letting her know they've gone to Rossport to expand their search. At around 2pm, the three friends stop at the Rainbow Falls Gate to pick up a few trail maps for the area. The person working the gate asks about their intentions, and they inform the worker of their search for Christina, and plans to head to Rossport to look for her. The worker tells them that it's highly improbable that Christina made it all the way to Rossport on foot, as it's 12 kilometers away, 
and instructs them to alert the Ontario Provincial Police, called the OPP, immediately. Within the next 30 minutes, the OPP Northwest Region Emergency Response Team learns of Christina's disappearance and sets forth a complete search and rescue mission, comprised of helicopters, a float plane, and other assorted aircraft fitted with GPS trackers, infrared cameras, and sonar detection for the vast bodies of water surrounding the Rainbow Falls. About an hour and a half later, around 4pm, Elizabeth Rutledge gets a call from the OPP, announcing that her daughter has gone missing. She alerts her family members and purchases flights to the Rossport area at once. Early the next morning, on Tuesday, August 7th, 24 hours after Christina vanished, the OPP canine unit arrives on the scene to potentially track down Christina's scent. Unfortunately, pristine conditions for canine tracking are best served within the first 12 hours of a disappearance, and with an entire day between Christina's last known movements and the dog's initiation, no trace is picked up. Later that day, Elizabeth finally makes it to the Rainbow Falls campgrounds with assorted family members. However, because of the ongoing search and rescue investigation, they are not allowed to venture deep into the park. Over the following two to three days, the OPP conducts an entire search mission along the 53-kilometer stretch of the Cask Isles Trail, the main pathway crossing through Rainbow Falls' entire property. They split up into teams of three, canvassing each side of the trail, but find very little in connection with Christina. On the fourth day of the investigation, aircraft equipped with infrared cameras fly over the park before sunrise to pick up on any living beings. The only creatures they notice are plenty of moose and a few bears, but they do find an increase in carrion bird activity, such as circling turkey vultures and crows. However, when the ground crew sweeps the areas underneath the buzzards, they find no signs of a corpse or other dead species. Five days after Christina's disappearance, on Saturday, August 11th, over 100 local residents of nearby communities volunteer to trek into Rainbow Falls Provincial Park and help investigators via grid searches. Again, nobody is able to uncover anything of note, and the case grows colder. Finally, on August 23rd, 17 days after Christina went missing along the Rainbow Falls trailhead, the OPP call off their official rescue units, confident that wherever Christina ended up, it was not at Rainbow Falls, nor around any of the campsites on the park's property. Meanwhile, authorities conduct a second investigation outside of the woodlands, interviewing everyone who had been registered to the park during the time Christina was also there. Detectives also interrogate Christina's three friends, including three separate interviews with Eddie, the last person to see her alive with certainty. All three are cleared of any wrongdoing and released by investigators. In the decade and a half since Christina Kaleka disappeared without a trace, very few clues have been announced by the OPP in connection with her case. There have been few leads and barely any press covering the ordeal, leaving Elizabeth and the rest of their tight-knit Filipino community desperate for answers. To this day, 
Elizabeth and her family still conduct infrequent searches of Rainbow Falls Provincial Park, hoping one day they might stumble upon that lost piece of evidence that might just bring Christina's fate to light. As just mentioned, the clues found in the search for Christina Kaleka have been few and far between. Whether this has been a byproduct of the OPP withholding evidence to protect their investigation, or simply the fact that nothing has been found since August of 2007, is not clear. There have been no announcements by the OPP via either a press conference or media outlets around Ontario, so until there are, we're operating under the assumption that law enforcement is just as empty-handed as we are. There was one small finding discovered by a team of search and rescue experts in the days following Christina's disappearance. While canvassing alongside the White Sand River flowing down from Rainbow Falls into Lake Superior, the team found a pair of socks next to a hole 35 feet deep beneath the waterfalls, as well as one rogue footprint. Investigators claim these clues led to nowhere, reasoning that the socks were too large to belong to Christina and were probably left behind by a swimmer the previous day. It was never clarified if the socks were tested for DNA, nor if the footprint matched the shoe size or imprint of Christina's footwear. It is safe to assume the footprint was ruled out, but the socks scenario is still unclear. The socks were likely wet and engorged, being so close to the water, so it is possible they may have seemed too large for a young woman to wear, when in fact, they were merely waterlogged. In a theoretical scenario, it could make sense that Christina jogged all the way to the waterfall to gain a bit of reflection time that her friends mentioned she might have been looking for. Then, after swimming or rinsing her feet off in the water, she was either pushed forward and got lost, or was kidnapped. There were no signs of a struggle, so it is highly unlikely, but it could be the reason why so few clues were unearthed. It could also explain why the footprint wouldn't match Christina's, because it was actually the prints of an abductor, or a person of interest who may have seen her in her final moments. We are hopeful that despite their appearance, the OPP still tested the socks against DNA, either found back at the campsite, back in Christina's bedroom, or her immediate family. Without any official statement, it is impossible to know for sure, and only increases the darkness gathering around the case. Let's now turn to the most prominent theories surrounding the disappearance of Christina Kaleka. The simplest theory that pertained to Christina's disappearance, especially during the initial investigation in the weeks following August 6th, was that she had gotten lost in the wilderness and failed to rejoin civilization, perishing due to the elements and being an inexperienced camper. These theories stemmed from the fact that rural Ontario is an easy place to lose track of your whereabouts, especially in the heavy woodlands surrounded by endless forests. While Christina had been on camping trips before, she wasn't incredibly fond of the survival lifestyle or spending copious amounts of time alone in the woods. There is a large gap between a relaxing camping getaway for a weekend and meandering into infinite trees where the road back is more than obscured. In fact, less than a month prior to the Rainbow Falls excursion, 
Christina went on a miniature hiking day trip with the same crew of Faith, Eddie, and JB at Seton Hiking Trail in Pickering, Ontario. Whilst in the woods, the gang got lost, and Christina, specifically, was rattled by this. She prayed she would get out alive, and of course she did in the end. But this tale does show Christina's hesitant demeanor and tepid relationship with extreme survivalist outdoorsmanship. However, this point is actually part of the argument used against this theory. If Christina was wary about getting lost, why would she stray from the set trails of Rainbow Falls and even risk the chance of wandering off? Sure, Faith told reporters later that Christina liked her moments of solitude, but mere weeks after a traumatic experience in the woods, it just wouldn't make sense for Christina to put herself back into harm's way. Christina's uncle, later interviewed by reporter Kate Baker, noted that Christina was fearful of many things, including wild animals and spiders and other foreign insects. It just doesn't paint a picture of someone ready to jump into the expansive wilderness. It wasn't just Christina's personality that led investigators away from these theories, however. The fact that next to nothing was found in the entire park to suggest Christina even existed outside of her belongings at Campsite 88 was a pretty clear sign that she was no longer anywhere near Rainbow Falls. For instance, the helicopters and other aircraft that flew low to the ground reported finding no shades of off-colors or cameos highlighted against the treetops. Experts say that anything of any color, even the neutral shades Christina was wearing that day, stick out quite clearly against the greens of nature and would certainly have been picked up by trained spotters during the search. Rescue operatives also combed each side of the Rainbow Falls trailhead where Christina was last seen on multiple occasions, finding no man-made trail leading away from the main road or spot in the trees where someone could have forced their way through. Finding no signs of Christina here was especially crucial, seeing as though 95% of all missing people in the wilderness are found within an eight kilometer radius from where they were last seen. Not only that, but the statistics at Rainbow Falls Provincial Park in general do not support the theory that Christina got lost. In the park's entire history, only one other person has been reported as missing, an ill 70-year-old woman who was found nine hours after the filing. For a place known for its family-friendly atmosphere, large events, and generally enclosed property lines, someone getting lost inside is just not supported mathematically or practically. In a similar vein, some people wondered if Christina had gone off the trail only a short distance, but rather than getting lost, was attacked by a wild animal and dragged off. There is a considerable black bear population in and around Rainbow Falls, in addition to wolves and other predators, and the OPP leaders were quick to point out their possible complicity. However, it was quickly ruled out when multiple black bear experts were questioned on the case and informed investigators that it didn't make much sense. Between 2000 and 2007, out of an estimated population of 900,000 black bears in North America, there was an average of just two black bear-related deaths per year. Also, if Christina was unfortunate enough to run afoul of a beast, the black bear would only have taken its prey up to 600 feet from the site of the attack. This would have meant that the presence of drag marks would have been found in the park, along with blood and signs of a fight. In terms of a wolf attack, 
well, they are even less likely to kill humans, with only one reported case of a wild wolf-related death in North America around 2007. Again, without drag marks or human remains, it is highly unlikely an animal killed Christina and pulled her away. Even the greatest human killers don't leave behind pristine crime scenes, so to think a wild creature could attack and leave no evidence is nonsensical. So, if it wasn't animals or the harsh backwoods that ensnared Christina, was there anything else in the park that could have lured her into danger? Obviously, there were plenty of fellow campers in the park at the time, most of whom have been vetted and cleared by the OPP, but what about the last person to see Christina? We detailed earlier about how the OPP interrogated Faith, Eddie, and JB on three separate occasions before ruling them out, but people still question Eddie's behavior that August morning. Mostly, these theorists question why he would randomly suggest a jog to Christina, and furthermore, why would she oblige? As was previously mentioned, Christina had a foot injury not too long before the camping trip, in which a needle jabbed into her foot and inflamed the tendons, causing her pain when standing or walking for extended periods of time. She also wasn't an active jogger, only going for light runs on rare occasions. So could Eddie have made the story up and persuaded Christina to go with him into the woods for other reasons? Well, the answer is almost certainly no. Firstly, Eddie had an incredibly promising future. He was training to become a firefighter and was an active volunteer. He also had absolutely zero motive to hurt Christina. They were great friends and leaders in their Youth for Christ chapter. Neither Faith nor JB mentioned any animosity between them, and they got along in front of other family and friends just as well. Secondly, if Eddie did want to harm Christina, why wait until they were at Rainbow Falls? The group went on other trips, including the hiking trip to Seton where Christina actually got lost. Why not act then? Sure, leaving Christina behind in a campground one and a half thousand kilometers from home was not the best idea. Could he have sacrificed a jog along the highway to run back with Christina instead? Of course but these choices do not place the blame on him in any way. Christina was an adult and independent enough herself. She didn't need supervision. Regardless, the OPP ruled out any involvement of Eddie, and when taking a step back to look at his character, it is fairly obvious he is in the clear. Another unpopular theory that is still worth mentioning revolves around the idea that Christina ran away on her own, disappearing intentionally and leaving the campgrounds of her own volition. Now, this would definitely explain why not even a semblance of a trace was found in the direct aftermath of her disappearance, and maybe why she so readily split up from the group that morning. In terms of support, however, there aren't many facts to prop up this theory. There have been rumors that Christina was set up for an arranged marriage she was displeased with, and was unhappy about where her life was headed. That is, in complete contrast to all the information and testimonies we've researched thus far. Everyone surrounding Christina told police and the media that she was very content, passionate even, regarding her life circumstances, including her plan to return to school. Her relationship with her mother was as close a bond as mother and daughter could share, and she displayed zero fear or hesitancy around any of her community members. 
While it is still possible Christina strayed from the beaten path to find time to recollect and be in isolation during her trip, it is unlikely she intended to do it on a long-term basis, and had every intention of meeting back up with Eddie and the others that morning. She was acting like herself, arousing no suspicion in those last moments spent with her friends. Incidental behavior plays a huge role in runaway teenagers and adults, and Christina simply wasn't the type of person to camouflage disdain and attempt to escape her current life. Without a doubt, the most viable theory left in Christina Kaleka's case file is that she was silently abducted near Rainbow Falls, not long after leaving Eddie. How was this possible with so many campers around? Well, it's important to remember that while there were people awake and active at 6.30am, the park was not at peak operating hours, and there were plenty of spots along the Rainbow Falls Trail that were left unoccupied and unmanned. The trails were not busy, so if someone was lurking in the brush, they could do so for an extended period of time without having to interact with anyone else. The sun was also just barely above the horizon at the time, so the trailhead would have been covered by the shadow of the trees. Again, this would have been the perfect shroud for someone to hide within and wait for an unsuspecting victim. Once they confirmed Christina was alone, they could have jumped out, startled her, and kidnapped her, making minimal noise. The important question at this point becomes how the abductor got Christina out of the park undetected. If the person did not want to deal with dragging her body through the thick brush, they could have threatened Christina and told her to be quiet, and walked out pretending to be her friend or guardian, perhaps using a weapon to force her to obey. It's possible the kidnapper knocked Christina unconscious, but that again means they would have had to drag or carry her a long distance through the park, and there was no evidence of such action found in the 17-day search and rescue. A much more sensible version of the theory is that Christina wandered off the trail she was jogging along and ended up near the Trans-Canada Highway, or Highway 17, that runs the length of Rainbow Falls. Once she was by the highway, she could have met someone who was looking to pick up unsuspecting women and connected with the wrong individual. Christina's family said she was the type of person to trust anyone, that she truly lived by the admirable motto of innocent until proven guilty, and that if someone asked for her help, she wouldn't have had second thoughts about lending a hand. Of course, this is where things would have gone sour. An amendment to this theory would be that wherever along Highway 17 this took place, it was far enough from Eddie's own jog along the highway, as he never reported seeing anyone pick up another person from his interviews. So, who might have picked Christina up? There aren't any known serial killers who operated in the Rossport area in 2007. However, the Trans-Canada Highway runs through a massive chunk of Canada, and it wouldn't have been out of the question for a few hardened criminals to drive up and down the freeway, hunting for a stranded passerby. Of course, this parallels the phenomenon of the Highway of Tears quite eerily, mentioned frequently in Canadian true crime lore. It involves a disturbing pattern of unsolved disappearances between many indigenous Canadian women along a 725-kilometer stretch of Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert, British Columbia, Canada. While this is quite far from Rainbow Falls, the potential for a copycat or other similar serial killer 
is not out of the question. Christina's case also loosely parallels another horrifying string of crimes in rural Canada's history, known as the Starlight Tours. Dating back to 1976, the Starlight Tours involved officers of the Saskatoon Police Department offering to drive drunk and lonely indigenous folks back from bars and local establishments to the Saskatoon jail, where they could sleep off their stupor, only to transport them into the wilderness, strip them of their clothing and belongings, and force them to find their way back to civilization alone. Many of the victims were never heard from again, and the Saskatoon PD went under heavy fire for it. No officers have ever been convicted, but these accusations have accrued over the years, with some as recent as 2018, and there's mounting evidence that the Saskatoon PD is complicit in covering it up, in ways such as deleting the original 1976 incident multiple times from public forums. The Starlight Tours aren't just related to Saskatoon, however, there are plenty of Canadian citizens and indigenous peoples who have shared stories of friends and relatives picked up by law enforcement, or people claiming to be so, only to be driven out into the wilderness and left to die. It should be noted that Christina Kaleka is not an indigenous Canadian, but a Filipino woman, and while she could easily be mistaken for someone of indigenous descent, there is no evidence to suggest she was a victim of a starlight tour or similar phenomenon. We merely bring this up to suggest the possibility that Christina was picked up by someone along Highway 17, who offered to take her back to the Rainbow Falls Provincial Park entrance, only to be snatched and kidnapped once she got into their vehicle. If the Starlight Tours are merely a microcosm of the devastating racism shown towards indigenous and Asian peoples of Canada, it is very possible that the horrors beset on the victims we know are beset on others we don't know about too. Again, we're not suggesting the Saskatoon PD were at fault in this case, but it points to a culture of crime that exists and is worthy of discussion. Whoever took Christina knew exactly what they were doing, and like the OPP believes, it was the act of a methodical killer who operated with precision and stealth to carry out the act that led to Christina's disappearance. Before we divulge our hypothesis of Christina Kaleka's unsolved disappearance, we want to make it known that our conclusions presented in Cold Case Detective are purely logical speculation based on evidence, circumstance, and factual subtext. We are only privy to the same information presented in each episode, and we do not attempt to promise certainty or an expert guarantee on the findings we reach in closing. We simply observe, research, and report. In the case of Christina's sudden and bizarre vanishing, we believe that she had no intentions of leaving Rainbow Falls on her own, and that she fully intended to meet up with Eddie and her friends after a swift morning jog. We believe it is sound reasoning to deduce that along the Rainbow Falls trailhead, she met someone who had been in the park with the sole intention to prey on an unsuspecting, vulnerable woman. The person probably asked Christina if she could help him find a specific landmark and led her into danger. Another sequence of events could be that she walked away from the path she was on, got a little lost, and asked the suspect for help, who promised to guide her back to Campsite 88, only to take her down the Trans-Canada Highway and drive off with her in the opposite direction. 
Regardless, the person was likely skilled in deception and manipulation, and recognized Christina's compassionate personality. Who this person was is not identifiable at the moment. However, it should be noted that a major celebration known as the Dragfest occurred in Terrace Bay, Ontario around the time of Christina's disappearance. Terrace Bay is a town on the outskirts of Rainbow Falls, and the festival attracts over 10,000 car enthusiasts each year, and some of them most certainly stayed at the park as part of their trip. With so many out-of-town folks staying at the campsite for such a short time frame, one of them could have used the opportunity to commit a dastardly act. Not many outsiders visit Rainbow Falls, and the Trans-Canada Highway intersecting the park provides the perfect escape route for a wayward criminal. What said criminal did with Christina is impossible to discern, but without a shred of evidence or fragment of a clue left behind, all we can do is hope they didn't steal Christina's life from her, and that she is somewhere still breathing, surviving, alive, and with hope. Meanwhile, we will share that hope alongside the memory of Christina, for hope is what she shared so effortlessly to her friends, to her community, and to her family. Christina gave hope to the kids she influenced both at church and at school, providing them with a moral backbone, a trustworthy role model, and a spirited friend. She showed children she taught that anything is possible, no matter the circumstances in life and a positive attitude can take anyone to new heights, no matter their age or size. And it goes without saying that ultimately, Christina would have made this hopeful impact on classrooms of her own. For her plans to go back to school and further her studies in childhood education would certainly have borne fruits of limitless opportunities as a teacher at schools across the greater Toronto area. And this is the hope that drives our mission to be able to bring Christina Kaleka home to her family, not just somewhere over the Rainbow Falls, but somewhere where her future is still waiting to be realized, where she can reach her full potential and make a difference in society through unwavering faith and unconditional love, where her mission to spark hope is both renewed and fulfilled. If you have any information related to the disappearance of Christina, Call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or find them online at www.tipsubmit.com forward slash web tips start dot ASPX. This is Cold Case Detective. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cold Case Detective podcast. Should you wish to delve deeper into the mystery, you can follow the case file link included in the show notes, which contains important photographs, documents, maps, and further reading relevant to the case. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a five-star rating wherever you listen. It really helps us expand our reach and bring awareness to the cases we cover. If you would like us to investigate a specific case, perhaps even one close to home or that of a loved one, please fill out the submission form in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in a fortnight with a new episode.